on today's message from Harvest Church of God. The way the world does business, step on whoever you need to step on. Kill whoever you need to kill. Prosper at all costs. The world system is viewed in how much have you got and how much are you worth and how much power, what kind of title do you have, how much influence, how much authority. How... And this individualistic mindedness is what's wrong in our country right now. Praise God, we're in a time of despair right now. Yes, we're in a time of difficulty and hardship, but I want to tell you, seasons change. And how we come through it is going to determine what we will be on the other side of this. God, I come to you now in this hour of delivering the Word of God. It falls my responsibility one more time this side of eternity to stand in this sacred place and speak the precious, sacred Word of God, your Word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, your Word that instructs us in righteousness and corrects us in our error. We pray, O oh God, for something of which I'm not worthy. I ask the anointing of the Holy Spirit to enable me today to be the vessel that you have called and that you have led into this place of delivering the Word. And I ask God right now that you would give me a fresh, alert mind that I may recall the things that you have said to me in personal study, that I can deliver publicly what you have revealed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. That transitional moment when a person is transformed and becomes a follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus, is a mysterious thing. The Bible said, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was flesh and that God was made to live among us. We know that great verse that tells us that we are created to walk in newness of life. We know that great verse that also says that if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation, that old things are passed away and all things are become new. So we have to realize from the wording of those passages that there is a transition, there's a transformation. In Colossians chapter 2, the Bible said, He hath delivered us, delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. A translation event out of darkness into His marvelous light. The writer says that we may show forth the praises of him that has called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, the marvelous light of our transition, our, our coming out of darkness, our coming out of bondage and being translated or transformed into a brand new king kingdom of liberty and freedom. Praise God. I'm glad to stand before you as one who's experienced that transition and one who has experienced that transformation. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 3, if you'll find that for me, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, there is this marvelous example of transition. It is about a person who was totally given to the kingdom of darkness, about an individual who pursued with his whole heart and mind to do everything he could to stamp out the newness that is in Christ. He, he was so committed to the old life 
so committed to the old worship, so committed to the old process of redemption that he didn't want to change. And he persecuted people who did want to change. Yeah, you've guessed it by now. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a group of people in a city called Philippi. And in Philippi, that church that was established there, the first convert was a, a jailer who fell on his face after God's power shook the building and loosed the prisoners, of which was one was the Apostle Paul and his uh, co-laborer Silas. And, and the Bible said he came in and fell on his knees and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So there was this little girl also that was a div diviner. She was a person who was, uh, uh, had a spirit of divination. And she told fortunes for her masters and earned them great, great gain. And the Bible said that one day the Paul turned to her and said, Come out of her! And that spirit immediately left her. And the Bible said there was a great turmoil created because of that young girl's transition. She had transitioned from a, a dependence upon an evil spirit and was loosed and freed from it to become a person blessed of God to be free. So such were the people in the congregation there at uh, Philippi, people who had made the transition, some that had walked out of darkness uh, of divination and spiritual uh, endowment to a, a life of freedom in Christ. So now Paul is writing to them and recalling every one of them how that they all were saved, how that his wounds were healed by the people. And he addresses them in verse 13 of chapter 3 in Philippians, brethren, brethren, or fellow laborer, uh, comrade, one who walks alongside you, fellow brother in Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, he said, I'm a work in progress. Look at your neighbor and say, you are too. A work in progress. He says, I count not myself to be all that God intends me to be. I'm not yet at that place. I'm seeking for it. I'm trying to apprehend it. I have a goal, I've got a purpose, I want to get there somehow, but I'm not there yet. And I don't count myself, I've not celebrated the fact that I've arrived, that I know all things, that I am I'm perfectly uh, fulfilled in everything, and I'm all that God intends me to be. He said, I haven't reached that place yet. And he said, but I'm pursuing after it, I'm apprehending it, but I haven't yet apprehended. But this one thing I have learned that I need to do, as I pursue God's will for my life, and as I reach toward this goal, one thing that I have learned that is prominent in my thinking, he said, forgetting those things that are behind me. Forgetting those things that have tormented me. Forgetting those things that I celebrated and thought were good. I have gotten past all of them, and I cannot change or alter anything about my past. Forgetting about those things that are behind me. How are you enabled to forget those things? There's only one thing that can help you forget those things that are behind. How's that? I bring them to the attention of the all-powerful, all-consuming grace of God. I place myself and all my past before him, and I ask him to forgive me for the error of my way. I ask him to forgive me and to wash 
my sins away. I ask him to cleanse me, and I ask him to make me that new creature in Christ Jesus, and I submit myself then to become a follower, to become a disciple in the school of the Lord Jesus and learn how to be his disciple. I this one thing I do, I forget those things. But he said, I reach at the same time forward unto those things that are before me. There's a goal that is in my future, he says, that I'm pressing toward. A goal that is in my future that I am, have great aspirations to reach it to that place. I, I, I want to attain that goal that I have. And it's greater than any other goal that is in my life. More than I want anything else. I want one day to stand before him, and I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I've got a goal, and I'm ap apprehending, I'm, I'm pursuing, I'm, I'm striving, I'm stretching, I'm pressing toward that goal. That's the one thing that consumes everything I do. I said it consumes everything I do. You remember Jesus saying in John 2, 17, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Isn't that great words? The zeal for the church, the zeal for thy house, the zeal for thy plan of salvation, the zeal that I have for your blessing upon people that are yours, the zeal that I have has consumed everything. Of all the desires that are in my heart, he is saying there is one all-consuming desire and that's the business of the Lord's house. Isn't that a good thing? You think that's a good pattern for us? Someone said to me about, about church, said, you're just ed up with it, aren't you? Yes, the zeal of the Lord's house has, has, has eaten me up. It is the all-consuming desire. And Paul said, therefore I pressed, verse 14, I pressed toward that mark. Mark in its original Greek rendering is date, date. I press toward that date for the prize of the high. High means upward. Calling, the Greek word is invitation. What he's saying is I press toward the date when I will receive an invitation to come upward. What he's saying is, I am anxiously anticipating the day when the trumpet will sound and gravitation will lose its power and graves will burst wide open and sleeping saints shall arise and we will all be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And he said, that is my all-consuming desire and I press toward that mark, that date, when I will receive an invitation to come upward. Praise God. You ought to give God a hand for that. That's good. Now, since we're pressing toward that date and since we're pressing toward that prize, let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. Oh, pastor, I'm not perfect. You are in one sense of the word. Oh, yeah, we've all got our flaws and we've already got our cracked pots in our vessel that we think is so good and so beautiful and so ornate, but the fact about our vessel is it's cracked and it's leaky. Yeah. 
Yes, in one sense, we're, we're not perfect. But in another sense, the Bible said, He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Numerous times, the Bible says, Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, that does not, not say that we're supposed to be like God in perfection and holy like Him in perfection. It is for us to be perfect that a better rendering of that word is complete. Complete, not lacking. And I want to tell you, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. When Jesus did his work at Calvary, he did it completely. When Jesus did his work at Calvary, he did it totally. When Jesus did his work at the cross, he did and he satisfied all of God's demands of redemption and washing and cleansing for us. Hallelujah. In that sense, I have been made perfect, not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of the one who died for me. In the perfection he hath given to me participation in his, hallelujah, in his completeness, in his perfection. Because of what he did, he sanctified me forever. Forever he hath made me complete, amen, in him. Isn't that great? Do you know right now that what Jesus did for you he completed the whole package. And now, the Bible said, he is committed to me that he's going to get me to the finish line and then he's going to present me perfect before God. How good is that? That Jesus is the one who does the perfecting, not you. That Jesus gives you the gift of participating with him in this process of redemption. That you are made holy by what Jesus did, not what you did. But what Jesus did. Not what flesh and blood does. Because through the efforts of flesh and blood, you won't see God. Through the efforts of flesh and blood, you cannot please Him. Through efforts of the flesh and blood, you cannot participate in this process that renders us perfected in Him. What it means is we have accepted by faith what He did. He did it for me. He pushed me aside and said, Father God, I will be payment in full for the sins that he committed. So in a sense, when Colossians said that the ordinance that was against us and all of the, the words that were against us when the charges were made against us that were sinful, the Bible said he took them out of the way. In other words, he said, that's not admissible in the courtroom of God. Not admissible. 
Why is that not admissible, the devil cries? I've got them in my clutches. I had them in my hold. How is all the sorriness that was in their life and the filth that was in their life, why is that inadmissible? And Jesus said, because I was made to be sin for him. I was made to be sin for her. I took upon myself the sins of the whole world. And the writer says in Hebrews, he hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. So in that sense, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, them that are cleansed, those that are washed in the blood. Jesus did that transformation for us. Jesus did that, that total bill that was against us. The Bible said, nailing our sins to his cross. Wow. No wonder the songwriter said, thanks to Calvary, I don't live here anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, I've had that transformation. Thanks to Calvary, that, that debt that we owe to the Lord Jesus is found in the fact that he bore our sins upon his cross, made to be sin for us. And the Bible says in Ephesians 2, we have peace with God through the blood of his cross. Can somebody give a hand clap of worship and praise that Jesus paid it all for us? That Jesus settled the sin debt for us? He did for us what we could not do. He owed a debt. He paid a debt he did not owe. We owed a debt we could not pay. But thanks be to God, Jesus settled the issue of sinfulness. We call it the redemptive provision. Let us therefore, as many as be complete, be thus minded. Minded? What does mindedness have to be? And what does it have to do with our being complete in Jesus. Be thus minded. Have this kind of a mindset. Let as many as be complete be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. In other words, when you've got stinking thinking, God who is committed to you will convict you of your wrongdoing, your wrong speaking, and it has to happen. He said, how is it otherwise minded? It's got to be up here. You've got to think like a saved person. You've got to think like a son of God. You've got to think like a daughter of God. You've got to think like a person that's been redeemed from the past and is uh, facing the future with God. You've got to be a thinker you got to think right. Something's got to happen in your mind. Hold on to that now because that's so important. Nevertheless, verse 16, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by that same rule and let us mind. Boy, that word just keeps cropping up. Mind. This is a person that hated the church, despised the church, hated the will of God, hated the purpose of God, was so committed to the old of the tabernacle and the Levitical system that he could not embrace Jesus as the 
Son of God, he couldn't embrace the preaching of the cross because when the church was preaching the cross of Jesus, multiplied disciples gave their heart to God and he opposed that. He hated the gospel and he hated those who preach it. The Bible said he wasted the church beyond measure. He despised. That's why he called himself the least in the kingdom of God. When he talked about saints, he said, I am the very least of all saints. Now, if anybody had a right to be elevated after writing almost half of the New Testament, if anyone had a right as the architect of the early church to feel a little bit blessed and a little bit more higher on the totem pole, Paul would. But he said, I am the least of all saints. Least of all saints. I persecuted the church of God beyond measure. I wasted it. But he said, but God. You mean a reviler and a, a hater and a despiser can change? Are you telling me that a person who had been so negative and had fought against God and fought against the will of God, that person can change? Yes. There, for many years, was a book in my father's uh, library. It's probably amidst my thing somewhere. It's called The Gambling Den and the Pulpit. It's the life of a man named John C. Jernigan. John Jernigan was a hobo and a drunkard and a thief. He was of such low estate that people feared him. He was so mean in character. But one night at a little building at the end of an alley in a major city, an elderly man stood preaching a gospel that touched John C. Jernigan. John Jernigan walked forward that night and was translated. I said he was translated. He stepped out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. When he was overseer of Tennessee for the church of God, he said to my grandfather when he appointed him to Dunlap, Tennessee, he said, Floyd, do the best that you can to win everyone in that city to God. He said, I came closest to getting killed and dying in Dunlap than I did any other place. What a, you, you mean a, a wretched man like a hobo and a thief and a liar and a, a, a terrible person can change to be a preacher of God's Word and can be a bishop in a, a church and given the perusal and the authority over churches? You mean God can do that? I've heard Wade Horton tell of his conversion in Kannapolis, North Carolina. When as a drunkard, he staggered into a, a church and listened to a Pentecostal preacher preach a message, and it touched Wade Horton's heart. And Wade Horton stepped out from the pew and walked down and gave his heart to God. You mean God can change people like that? Billy Sunday was an 11-year-old kid on the streets of Chicago, and a Sunday school teacher stopped 
and heard this cursing, swearing, foul-mouthed young kid of a boy, and he said to him, young man, I'd like for you to come to my Sunday school class. I teach junior boys, and I'd love for you to come. He went and picked the boy up off the streets and carried him to church the next Sunday, brought him in, and yes, he was a hellion from the word start. All the teachers told him, said, don't bring that kid back here anymore. The pastor even told him, stop bringing that kid over here. He creates more havoc than he's worth. But that Sunday school teacher just kept bringing that little Sunday kid. He became a teenager. That Sunday school teacher saw to it that he finished high school. That Sunday school teacher gave him the money that he needed to go to Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois to be a better person. He graduated from Northwestern, started playing professional baseball and played for the White Sox, the Chicago White Sox. But one night, that little mean, foul-mouthed Sunday kid Stepped into an old-fashioned meeting. He would describe it. He would say it was an old-fashioned meeting at an old-fashioned place where an old-fashioned preacher preached some old-fashioned grace. As an old-fashioned sinner, I began to pray. And God heard me and saved me in the old-fashioned way. Billy Sunday became one of the greatest preachers of the gospel in all of American history. One of the greatest voices for God. One of the greatest people persons for the Lord Jesus this country ever experienced. What a great legacy he has left to all of those who preach the gospel. But it began when God translated him and transitioned him into a new life in Christ. Let us, therefore, as many as be complete, be thus minded. And if any otherwise, God will reveal it. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us mind the same thing. Let us all mind the same thing. What is that? What could be the mind of everybody that's saved? To please him who has called us to eternal life. To please him. Brethren, he begins again, the salutation. Verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, he said, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their own belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. People who mind earthly things become the enemies of the cross of the Lord Jesus. People who are so earthly minded that they do things by the world system the system of the world is get all you can and can all you get. 
The world system is viewed in how much have you got and how much are you worth and how much power, what kind of title do you have, how much influence, how much authority. How, all of those things are the world system. The way the world does business, step on whoever you need to step on. Kill whoever you need to kill. Do whatever you need to do. Prosper at all costs. And this individualistic mindedness is what's wrong in our country right now. I want my way and I want it now. You're going to do what I say or I'm going to make life miserable for you. You're either going to give me what I want or I will terrorize your life. That mindedness, the Bible said, is the enemy of the cross. The enemy of the cross. Nowhere in God's Word do you see that it's acceptable to do character assassination or anything like that in the body of Christ. It's not there. Nowhere is it ever excusable for a Christian to behave in an ungodly way. In fact, the Bible said that's carnality. Somebody say amen. That's carnality. And the Bible said to be carnally minded or earthly minded or fleshly minded is death. It'll kill you. It'll kill a church dead in its tracks. It'll kill a marriage. It'll kill a family. It'll kill a business. It'll kill you. The Bible gives woe after woe to them that trust in riches. Woe after woe, woe to them that trust in the powers of this world. Woe to them. That woe is so pronounced. There's even a woe that says, woe be unto me if I preach not the gospel. Wow. So I am standing today doing something I've got to do for me to go to heaven. Wow, that's why I, I feel so special about this place. And that's why I feel so, so special about this hour that every week we have designated. This building was built and dedicated for the purpose of preaching the gospel because that's the great commission. The great commission is go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to be what God wants us to be, to say the things God wants us to say. But listen, sometimes our actions speak so loud the world can't hear the message we preach. I don't blame you. That's not very happy news either. You're slow to clap to that. But actually, if you looked at the American church through independent eyes, you would see a church and a movement that has been in decline for several years. Church attendance every year declines. One observer in Europe said the church in America is on a slippery slope going downhill. The news for the most part is not good. For many years, we enjoyed a, a grouping of churches 
in our tradition that was the fastest growing in the world for years. For many, many years, the strong Southern Baptist Convention reported gains every year until just a few years ago they reported their first year of loss. So what are we saying about the church of the Lord Jesus in 2021? I think we're in transition. And I think more times than not, we're transitioning the wrong way. I think rather than standing up and being the example and saying, hey, we've got the answer. It seems like the church no longer knows the answer. That we no longer want to hold up the example of Christian character. We've attacked that so until we've made it almost of none effect. We've had failure in character until preachers have been all put in one category of women chasing money hungry. God help us. But I want to tell you, God still got some children. God still got some children. Yes, the music will play, but they won't bow. Yes, the threats will go out, but they won't stop. Yes, you can threaten them, and yes, you can penalize them and take away different things that they enjoy, and some of those battles are to be fought probably in our near future. And the question is, are you going to faint? The Bible said in due season, you will reap if you faint not. In due season, you'll overcome. In due season, you'll be successful when the season changes. You've got to understand these seasonal things that come and go. Seasons are in constant flux. Seasons are always changing. You're looking forward now to spring. Somebody said to me when I came in the door, it's cold. And she said to me, she said, yeah, it's supposed to be cold this time of year. I said, yes, it's exactly what it's supposed to be. But in a few more days, the season is supposed to change. When Job said, yes, my affliction is great. Yes, I have these boils. Yes, I have this personal loss. Yes, but there's coming a day when the season's going to change. There's coming a day when things are going to be different. Praise God. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth. Praise God, we're in a time of despair right now. Yes, we're in a time of difficulty and hardship. But I want to tell you, seasons change. And how we come through it, I said how we come through it is going to determine what we will be on the other side of this. If you don't faint, if you hold your head up and keep going, keep preaching, keep preaching, keep singing, Keep walking, keep praying, keep lifting up holy hands, keep 
believing that God is faithful because the God who is faithful also will do it, the Bible said. Will somebody give him some glory in this house? Let us all mind the same thing. Let us all look forward to that day. Verse 20, it says, for our conversation is in heaven. My conversation is in heaven. My attention, my passion, my attachment, my strength. Lord of God, I feel the Holy Ghost when I'm telling you that. It's not here on this earth. It's in heaven. My inspiration, my motivation, my strength is in heaven. My conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change, transition, translate. He will change our vile bodies. Those vile bodies that are in intensive care today. Those vile bodies that are plagued with a coronavirus. Those vile bodies that have been attacked by a contagious virus. Those vile bodies. He shall change those vile bodies. That body that suffers with pain. That body that, that has the fibromyalgia. That, that uh, body that suffers with heart disease. That, that body that suffers with diabetes. That body that suffers with leukemia and cancer and all the things that are connected to the fall. Who shall change our earthly vile bodies that it may be fashioned. That it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things he is able to subdue all things he is able to subdue coronavirus he is able to subdue death he is able to subdue all of the vile things that happens in our earthly bodies he is able to subdue all things unto himself There's a story of a sculptor. He was in Florence, Italy, and he was commissioned by one of the great cathedrals there to take a piece of marble and fashion it to a great personality of the Old Testament. His first name was Antonio. His last name was Duce. He labored for two years working with a piece of marble that had a tremendous flaw. And he was trying to work around it and trying to find out and see how he could work with that piece of marble to get the image of an Old Testament king to put in a cathedral in Florence. Two years he worked and he wasn't able to finish it. He died without being able to solve the puzzle. In two years, in the 14th, 15th century, 
there was another sculptor that, that took it up, and he started working on that, that piece. And he finally gave up, and he couldn't do it, so he died not having been able to make the image out of that piece of marble. But one day, a young sculptor walked into the cathedral in Florence, and he took on the task of making the image of David, the king. He worked meticulously, and day after day, he would come in and he would chisel, and he would work, and he would polish, and then he would work some more and chisel some more and work some more until finally, 600 years after the work had begun, Michelangelo was able to create the masterpiece that was David. And when asked, how did you do what other sculptors could not do? How did you achieve what all others had given up on and died and were unable to work around the flaw that was in the rock and made it this beautiful masterpiece that will stand forever. And he said, when I looked at that rock, I saw everything that was not David, and I chiseled it away. For every one of us in this room today, God is working with a flawed piece. And no other sculptor, no other power can do what only one can do. Only one. Only one. If you were to go today, come on, Olivia. If you were to go today, and I would recommend that you do this, at the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte, North Carolina. Look at me. She's prettier than me, but look at me. <laughs> if you were to go to the library, Billy Graham Library in Charlotte, North Carolina, you'd find a grave. A grave? The grave is of Ruth Bell Graham. And inscribed on that tombstone are these words. Construction completed. Thank you for your patience. Construction completed. Thank you for your patience. Shh. Shh. Close your eyes. In meditation, I want you to think and listen. If you'll be real quiet and listen, you will hear the chisel and you'll hear the impact of the hammer and you'll hear the stone as it loosens and falls to the ground. And when you can't hear 
any more of the work of the chisel, you'll know then that you'll be like Jesus. For Dr. Bonner, for Larry Gunter, for Gerald Freeman, for all the many others, the sound of the chisel is silent. And they not only look like Jesus, they are now in the presence of Jesus. For being conformed to his image gives you admission to his presence. You can stand if you'd like to all over this room. I wish that I could tell you that just simply coming forward in a brief moment of prayer, that that could make you like his image. But it's much more than that. That's the entry place. That's the first step on the journey of a thousand miles. It's those hardships and difficulties. It's those times of need, those times of pain, and those signs of times of grief that chisel away until one day you look like him and one day you'll go to be with him. Thank you, blessed God, for all the many times that you chiseled away at things that didn't look like your view of me. Thank you for the many times that you chiseled and pounded on the hammer, chipping away at those things that needed to be removed for me to look like you. I pray that everyone in this building, God, if they've not started that journey, that they'll start that journey today to be like Jesus. I pray for everyone in this room, under the sound of my voice, that after this service today, that they will let that mind be in them which was in Christ Jesus. And that every one of us would love not the world, nor the things that are in the world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, chiseled away at the things that don't need to be, and made to be conformable to the image of Christ. In dismissing today, I pray that would be the will for every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Could you give God about 30 seconds of the best praise you've got? Hallelujah. Blessed be our God. Blessed be our God. Power and honor and dominion be unto our God. Blessing. Blessing. Honor. Exaltation. Glory be unto the Lord our God. Who was and who is and who is to come. All glory be unto him. The Lord of glory. Who is this king of glory?
the Lord. He is the King of glory. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Praise God. Come in, Lord Jesus. Come in, Lord Jesus, the King of glory. God bless you, and God go with you is my prayer. You have the greatest week ever. And when you go out into that world, don't you forget that you're God's ambassador and you're God's representative to be like him.